So, um, what I'm going to talk about is, uh, I've had this sort of theme uh, of Tara. So you know who Tara is, you know, the green, beautiful goddess. Oh, <laughs> can't describe, you know, this beautiful goddess. But she steps down, you know, she's not just in a precious meditation. I'll be using that phrase a few times, that precious meditation. Uh, she, she steps down to help, you know. And she steps down, I mean, this is me, I'm making this up, but I, I think there's some truth in it. She steps down into the forest. Tara lives in a forest. So I'll go into that a bit, what that means. You might be able to help me with that. And then I'll tell you a bit about my history of going out. So this is stepping down and going out, you know. It does fit together. So uh, I've gone out quite a, bit, quite a bit, so I'll tell you a bit about... Uh, uh, groups I've been involved in and, and that kind of thing. And then I want to end by uh, sort of rounding it up with the theme of gratitude, which I just think, if you've got to come back to something as a theme, that would be it. You know, that would underpin all your efforts and, uh, you know, if you, f if you start to flag a bit or, you know, you run out of that, you know, that pizzazz, that sort of gratitude of often kind of gets you warmed up again. So anyway, uh, say a little bit about Tara stepping down. Well, like I mentioned, she's absolutely beautiful. But you have to kind of enter into this imaginal world. You know, if you just can't entertain these figures, that's fine. You know, sit there with your bare wall, meditate, you know, do what you do. I've got a friend who, he just can't get on with them at all, you know. And I think, in a way, he's missing the point, because if you're over-literal, if you're too literal about it, well, you can't phone Tara up and ask her to, you know, well, I do ask her to, <laughs> to come sometimes, but uh, you can't expect her to walk in and say, oh, there, there, you know. Uh, actually, I have, I have read stories. In Tibet, there was one guy, he was, a, he was a thug, and he was locked up, and the warder passed his door one night, and he said he could hear voices. And he could hear this really sweet woman's voice saying, and don't be stupid again. This is the last time. And the guy, the villain, he was saying, I promise, I promise, I won't do it again. And the next morning, the door was open and he'd gone. I mean, you don't have to believe it, but it's a wonderful story, isn't it? So uh, obviously that was Tara. You know. uh, one of the things about Tara, if you're familiar with the, the image, the green goddess, that smile, you know, that smile of anything, that's the thing to hold on to. It's not just a smile, a sweet smile, like a little kid might, or, you know. I had a little girl smile at me, uh, was it yesterday? The day before yesterday. It was wonderful. You know, she waved and smiled, and she was only about three or four, and I thought, oh, fantastic, I waved and smiled back, you know. Uh, there's something about a beautiful smile. And that smile, I reckon I've seen it, but only a few times, like, when Sabuti ordained me, I walked into the stupa when I was being ordained. You know, you go and have a private ordination. And I looked at Sabuti and I thought, whoa, that's not, that's not Sabuti. That's Sabuti standing in for. I thought, that's the smile of Tara and the Buddha. You know, I've seen that smile before. Because she did appear to me once. You know. uh, yeah, she made contact with me. You know, a lot of these figures, you know, 
if you believe them. A lot of these figures, you have to go out, you know, like Padma Sambhava. He's not going to come and make contact with you. You have to go to the cremation ground. You have to go where it's really difficult. He'll be there. You know, he'll, he'll help you. He'll, he'll back you up. But don't expect, he's not going to come and, uh, you know, uh, do all that. Um, so we're getting into this sort of area of myth and uh, some people, nah, they just they just don't like it. They're very literal, you know, you can't see it and touch it, well that's it. But I think, you know, we're already living in myth. You know, you have a myth, say about the trains, well they turn up, you know. Isn't it fantastic? <laughs> it's fantastic, you know, they turn up. <laughs> Sometimes they're all, they're all, they come at the right time. <laughs> Usually they go to the right place. The right, it's, it's almost a miracle, isn't it? You know, but the, the, we have this idea of the trains running and it's a myth. I mean, actually you've got one train and a driver and all this. So if you, if you kind of reduce it down, you know, the, the idea of the train companies and all that, there's an element of myth to all that. It's the same with the order. You know, so we get ordained, uh, I could say a bit about <laughs> my ordination. Uh, we get ordained and we have a ceremony, and then in my case it was Sabuti, put this round my neck and he went, there you are, you know. Uh, but what has actually happened, well you prepared and you, you know, I went to Spain on this retreat, 16 weeks in Spain, you know. And, and it was great. <laughs> it was a fantastic retreat. Um, but, you know, you could also say, well, you've just got a bit of white cloth around your neck. That's starting to go a bit grey. You, know. you could just say, well, on some level, that's it. You know, you've got these guys with funny names. And <laughs> women with funny names. But, you know, so there's an element of myth surrounds that. You know, where there's a myth of the order. There's a myth of ordination. There's a myth of a lot of what we engage in. And we don't give it much thought, but it is. You know, it's, uh, it's imaginal. There's a mythic element to it. So it's not going beyond the realms of whatever, you know, to sort of think in terms of these figures, Tara. You know, enlightenment or reality taking some form as it kind of touches us. It's the, it's the way we, we uh, interact with what we're not fully uh, uh, part of. You know, the, the reality we're not fully in touch with. So basically, right, getting down to what I want to talk about, <laughs> we've, it, at last, <laughs> we've got it all here. It's fantastic. Um, all you have to do is come through the door. I mean, that's hard for some people, isn't it? You know? yeah, my son, he, he doesn't live, he, he works quite nearby. And I said to him, look, Adrian, all you have to do is come through the door. Yeah, yeah, Dad. No, he's, <laughs> he's been in the cafe. You know, that's as near as he's got. He met me in the cafe once. But he can't get, get himself through the door, you know. Um, but now that we're here, uh, I think, you know, I will go into it later, but I think it's fantastic to appreciate what we've got. You know, we come through the door. This is magnificent, isn't it? It wasn't like this in 1977, you know. Uh, it was a lot different. It was a scruffy house, and uh, I can't vouch for the carpet either. It was... Uh, it's not like this. this. And this is not just suddenly, you know, this is the result of a lot of hard work. I live with uh, Nargavira, and he doesn't bang on about it all the time, but if you, if you press him, he will say it was hard work. You know, when they were doing the, uh, the renovation, and oh dear, they used to live here, the guys, and uh, 
they used to work so hard, you know, six days a week, I think. I think he probably did seven, knowing him. Um, so it's great to appreciate, you know, this, uh, this wonderful facility we have. You can find folk, can't you? I used to go on about the kettle. They took the kettle away. When I was here, you know, they said, you've got to use this machine. I want a kettle. <laughs> it's funny what, what sort of takes possession of your mind, isn't it? Obsessed about the kettle. Uh, but part of uh, being here and being part of it is to engage with it, you know, to be generous uh, with our time as well. You know, a lot of people have put a lot into this place, so we can engage in that, in that way as well. So Badramati, who, who wrote uh, Not About Being Good, she came to Cambridge a, a, a while ago, giving a talk. And one of the uh, anecdotes she mentioned was uh, a friend of hers uh, uh, wasn't well. So she said, well, if there's anything I can do. <laughs> and of course, Damodina said, well, now you mention it, <laughs> I have said I will go and feed somebody's cat. So if you could do that for me. And so Badrin Matty just felt, oh, I was going to have the morning to myself. You know, it was, it was a turn of phrase. It was, you know, if there's anything I can do. Well, there was. Um, so, yeah, so I think if we have that, that kind of uh, thing in mind, that we want to be part of this, we want to engage, not just coming along as a punter and, oh, I might go to that night or that night, you know, depending on what's on, but really emotionally connecting and being part of, which is a very important, it was a bit like me coming through that door, I felt like I was coming home, you know, I think there's something about the em emotional engagement. Well, uh, there's always requests for volunteers, isn't there? In fact, at this moment... Just coincidentally. Yes! <laughs> it just so happens... <laughs> What's it called? The Join In Campaign. The Join In Campaign is happening downstairs. A very big illuminated board. So there's an opportunity to, to engage. And it's not, it's not like you're giving and it's, oh, it's awful, you know, like... Should I give? It's more like you're engaging and becoming part of the enterprise. It's a really important shift, you know, to feel as though this is, this is where you belong. You, you know, you're part of this. And it's so good to respond to the needs, isn't it? I remember I used to, I used to work here about, was it eight years ago, nine years? <laughs> uh, and I, I worked on reception for a while. And... Uh, we had a rotor. We were supposed to get to people to sign up on this rotor to teach the meditation. And I thought, oh, blow this. You know, you're phoning people up and you're trying to get someone to do, will you do the Tuesday, you know, all this. I thought, oh, I can't be doing with all that. So I just put myself down and I just, oh, I'll do it, I'll do it. Now, I wasn't a meditation teacher. In fact, anybody who knew me before that would never think meditation teacher, you know, barely meditate myself. But I just thought, <laughs> somebody's got to do it, you know. So, uh, yeah, there's probably a lot in this, you know. I just thought, just do it, you know. So I did it, and uh, I was surprised, but the feedback was very good. You know, uh, whoever followed me on the reception said, oh, it, when you've uh, led the meditation, we get people signing up and buying books, and see, so great. So I was obviously doing something right, you know. I remember writing to Sangha actually to saying, I can't, I can't believe it. It turns out I'm actually quite a good meditation teacher. And he wrote back, he said, well, I'm not surprised. I should think, you yeah. know. But that is just, that just comes about from 
you know, well, somebody's got to do it, so I might as well, you know, in a way, throwing myself in and, and doing it. Could have all gone wrong. You know? <laughs> it might have been a complete... But I sort of knew, I think, on some level, you can do this, for heaven's sake, you know. If you can't, if you're in a position where you can't do much, well, you, c you can actually support other people. I mean, what Shaki Jart has done in India is absolutely unbelievable. So when you see somebody going out, you know, in a very heroic way, or even just somebody going out to Didsbury or whatever, support them. You know, you, you might not be able, you know, maybe you're babysitting every night, you've got three kids and I know what that's like. Uh, you know, maybe you, your time is, is, you know, circumscribed, but you can help other people whatever way you can, you know. Um, it's, it's a kind of a, a way of thinking about things, isn't it? And it's so important that we're going beyond ourselves. This is so fundamental to the spiritual life. Um, speaking for myself, I'm quite a selfish, self-preoccupied sort of human being, you know. I tend to think about myself and my preferences and what I'd like quite a lot. Now, if you're anything like me, that's your situation as well. And what, what I need and what we all need is a way of expanding that sense of self, going beyond ourselves. I used to work at the Windhorse. I was a, a salesman, a driver salesman, you know, for years and years and years. I used to drive around and sell things for, for Windhorse. Mostly tat, you know, if we're, if we're honest. We wouldn't have said that at the time, but, you know. <laughs> oh no, these sell very well, madam. They, these, they make the perfect present, you know. But anyway, I used to, I used to travel around. So, and we, and the, the driver salesman, we used to have this sort of idea. We were raising money for Sangharakshita. This was, our, this was the reason we were, you know, and sometimes you'd be out till nine o'clock at night till you found your B&B &B or whatever. It, was, it could be hard work being chased by traffic wardens and, you know, oh dear. I'm still afraid of them. You know, <laughs> not, I don't even drive now. But, um, but yeah, the idea was we're, we're going beyond ourselves. We're raising money for Sangharachita. So I remember once, years ago, we sent him 40 grand. You know, we'd made some money. Uh, so we sent him 40 grand. And I remember seeing this email on, uh, on the MD's desk uh, from Sangharachita saying, well, thank you for the money. I don't know what to do with it. There's nothing... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you all the same. I thought, we're all saying to ourselves, we're raising money for Banty, for Sangra. And he gets this 40 grand. It's like, well, he didn't know what to do with it. Later, he did give uh, Nichibandu 40 grand for the Krakow Centre. So I suspect it was our 40 grand. You know, but, uh, um, yeah, so the point is to be getting beyond our kind of our precious sense of my practice you know very often when people talk about their practice what they're talking about is their meditation you know my practice you know and uh, or nowadays people talk about gaining insight you know that's the that's the buzz thing now isn't it there's websites and you can phone people and you're gaining insight if you think you've gained insight you haven't i read that this week if you think you've gained insight well you haven't you know uh, I'm not saying it's a waste of time, <laughs> but, you know, I think you need a broader sort of sense of what spiritual development is. Think in terms of the five spiritual faculties. Well, yes, there's meditation, but there's also, you know, there's lots more to a, a, a developing spiritual approach. So, stepping down, 
you're stepping down into what I would call the forest. So this is going outside your comfort zone. I passed somebody recently and it, uh, there was two guys walking and one said to the other, when were you last outside? Well, he didn't do it in a Manchester accent, did he? Uh, he said, when were you last outside your comfort zone? And as he said it, oh, I thought, wow, when was I last outside my comfort zone? It was a real, um, you know, it was kind of a statement that really uh, uh, got me thinking. I'll just read a little bit of this. This is uh, the first part of a poem by Sangharachita where he's making this point that uh, there is a forest, an imaginal sort of forest, and uh, he says it's calling us, you know. Uh, so it's not like we just have to decide, right, that's it, I'm going out to the forest. No, no, the forest is already calling us. So what does the forest whisper? With every wind-stirred leaf, with many centuried oak tree, to our old blossom sheaf. What does the forest whisper when nightingales are dumb and cicadas fall silent? The forest whispers, come. What does the forest whisper in sunshine and in shade down every moss-hung alley in each dear haunted glade? What does the forest whisper when full or crescent moon steeps nodding crests in silver? The forest whispers, soon. What does the forest whisper from death's primeval where a sound is lost in stillness as clouds dissolve in air. What does the forest whisper when from the darkling bow drop one by one the dead leaves? The forest whispers, no. So I think that really, uh, uh, in a, an imaginal kind of way, evokes what I'm talking about. There's a way of life, there's a place to be there's a way of being beyond this, beyond you know what we usually, you know, beyond Costa as good as it is. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, there's a, a way of being. There's a place you can think of it in all sorts of ways, but there is something uh, to move towards. And I, I think this idea of the forest is a very strong image that I resonate with, and partly because, well, the spiritual life—it's an adventure. It's not therapy. I mean, very often we engage with it. It's going to make me happy. It's going to sort out all my problems. And uh, Lizzie Deck, you know, <laughs> it's not. Uh, but it will give you a bit of adventure. It will. Uh, uh, what we're seeking, whether we know it or not, is freedom, not happiness. The spiritual life doesn't necessarily make you happy. I mean, I'm, I get depressed loads of times, you know. Uh, partly because of the football results, but to, you know, <laughs> I do have a deep. You know, I do have a deep thread of uh, depression. Um, but freedom, that is something that we can realistically see as a, as a, a goal to, to achieve, you know. Um, another a few thoughts about the forest. Uh, well, there's an element of danger, the, the unknown. But also, you're away from the world. The world is so much with us. You know, when you go home... Do you listen to the news? Do you have a quick listen to something? Or, or worse? <laughs> um, the world is so much there. You well, just go out the door and, uh, you know, there's people passing. And... So being in a, in a place away from the world, close to nature, you know, you get it on a solitary retreat, don't you? Actually, they freak me out, solitary retreats, but uh, you do get some of that. And... Um, and it's about going outside your comfort zone, going to, uh, 
I always remember years and years ago where I had my brother staying with me and there was an ad in the paper for a sax and a flute player. And he saw this eagle eye and uh, I said, oh, no, no, because, you know, they, they were talking about playing Herbie Hancock and da, da, da. I thought, no, no. He said, oh, go on, give it a go. And I was, rrr, 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 rrr. so anyway, I phoned this guy up. Uh, uh, he was a cockney. And he said, yeah, well, we do Miles Davis and we do, you know. <laughs> and I'm going, <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, come up, come along on Saturday. So I went on this Saturday for it. I could hardly play, you know, I mean, I had a flute, but. And he said, yeah, you'll be all right. We're playing on Wednesday. <laughs> Can you imagine talking about going outside your comfort zone? We're playing on Wednesday. He said, you'll be all right. He says, just solo, you know, just, you know, do a bit of improvisation. You know, I didn't even know the tunes, for heaven's sake. But anyway, I, I did. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of looked as though, right, short turn, you know. Like, <laughs> so I'd do a bit. And then I'd feel this, this finger run down my back. That was the signal. Right, we've had enough, you know. <laughs> but, you know, damn, I could hardly play it. And uh, anyway, I did. Um, I was encouraged. And, um, yeah. So what we're talking about a lot is our perspective, isn't it? So if you come along to the centre and there was no cow's milk today. Can you imagine? No cow's milk. There's a move to eliminate it, I, I suspect. You know. So you could kind of focus on things like that, couldn't you? <laughs> you know. Um, but another perspective is what are we actually doing? We're building this fantastic, we're engaged in developing you know, our kids will, will love us for this, you know, our spiritual kids or whatever, um, as we do, you know, the Ratnagunas of 1977, you know. He had a tough time, Ratnaguna, you know, you should ask him. Uh, he moved up from London the previous year, and for a few years it was just really difficult in, uh, uh, where were they? Not Withington, previous to that. Longside, yeah, it's no wonder I can't remember the name. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> When we were at Wintos, we used to keep getting this, uh, uh, this little anecdote told, told to us. Um, a lot depends on your perspective. So there's a guy watching these uh, bricklayers, and he says to one, you've probably heard the story, says to one, what are you doing? And this bricklayer says, well, I'm, I'm laying bricks. And says to another, what are you doing? He says, I'm earning 10 bob an hour. You can tell it's an old story, can't you? <laughs> I'm earning 10 bob an hour. Now he says to the third one, what are you doing? They're all laying bricks. He says. I'm building a cathedral. Whoa, you know, that's, so that is just your, your perspective, isn't it? Yes, you're laying, but, and we used to have this again and again at Wintos when we worked together in this right livelihood business. Sometimes it was hard work. You'd lose your uh, pizzazz or whatever, and you'd have to remember what we're doing is absolutely mind-boggling. It's fantastic, but you do have to get the van loaded and, you know, there is, uh, there is that, mundane element but whilst you don't you don't get all fairy uh, uh, and away from the reality of it you know yes you do have to do your work you do have to make sure that's done but keep a bigger perspective what we're engaged in here is just it's a creative endeavor that can transform you know the world eventually it's, it's amazing so anyway i'll tell you a little bit about my going out before we have a tea break uh, <laughs> When I got ordained, I got ordained in 1990s, not, not that long ago, uh, and it was fantastic, of course. 
Uh, at the time, I shouldn't be telling you this, I hope this is not, you know, scrub this. At the time, <laughs> England were in the World Cup and somebody uh, used to put the results in a margarine carton and hide them behind a rock. You've not heard this. <laughs> Forget this. So I would, early in the morning, I would get the margarine carton. England won! <gasps> and then, because we're in silence, I would say uh, two tomatoes, one pi <laughs> So anyway, it went... <laughs> it's true. What are you laughing for? It's true. Uh, so this carried on for a while. And then England got into the semi-finals of the World Cup. So I said to a friend, I said, what are we going to do? If England win, he says, well, if they win, we'll, we'll have to leave the retreat. He says, because you can always get ordained another year, can't you? But when are England going to be in the World Cup final? So anyway, as luck would have it, England lost against Germany. Thank God. So I think we were the only two Englishmen who were really hoping that Germany would win. Oh, we came so near. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so anyway, so I was ordained in 1990 and Sabuti on that retreat, he said, listen, you do nothing for a year. And I'm, I'm quite literalistic. I, I'm quite sort of, so I thought a year, right. So I put it in my diary, right. So one year later, you know, to the day, I decided I was going to go out and start a group in Bury St. Edmunds because it was only half an hour away. So, so I got in a car, went to Bury St. Edmunds and I thought, well, what do you do? <laughs> this, is, this is how naive I'm, I'm pretty bad now. But then I said, what do you do? So the first thought was I'll go in a cafe and I went in a cafe and I wrote a card to Sabuti and I said, surely there's somebody with a bit more, you know, who could do this. Look, I, I haven't got a clue really, you know. And I was walking up the street and I passed a woman and I said, uh, um, I'm thinking of starting uh, classes in Bury St. Edmunds, uh, but I'll need to find a... And she, she engaged with me and she said, oh, well, what I'd do, I'd go to the education offices. Uh, so I went to the education offices and they said, yeah, the schools very often rent out rooms. Uh, so that was a start. Of course, they smelt a bit of wee and chalk, but, uh, you know, <laughs> but we did, we did. And eventually, eventually we, we found the friends meeting house and, uh, and we started having the classes there. So, so that was, that was very St. Edmunds, up and running. You know. <laughs> yeah, there's lots more I could tell you. But. Thank you, so I was ordained this summer that you started off in that group. Really? That's fantastic. Wow, yeah, yeah. So it's not all wasted, all that effort, all those, <laughs> yeah, all that tea that you bought and whatever. Uh, anyway, a, a bit later, I, I must have mentioned, you know, I must have mentioned to Sangrachita something about Peterborough. So I went to see him, completely forgetting all about this, and he said, uh, hmm, uh, "What's happening about Peterborough? We don't, we don't hear anything about Peterborough now." And I'm like, "Oh, you know." <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I said, oh, right, well, we'll get that sorted, you know. So, <laughs> so this was a few years later, and I thought, oh, God, you know, here we go again. And uh, so I'd opened my big mouth and now I had to pay the, <laughs> the price. Uh, so we started classes in Peterborough. This time I had a bit more uh, savvy. I knew, you know, you go and find a room. And we formed a team. Uh, I think there was four of us, or three of us. And then occasionally we got a fourth, you know. And we started doing classes in, uh, in Peterborough. Uh, very quickly, uh, there was a little core of regular people. 
there were three guys and three women. Two of the women are actually ordained now, uh, Bodhi Pushpa and Bhuri Jyoti. They're both ordained now, so that's fantastic. But I remember when I started the group, I thought, I must focus on the men. Because I, I know what I'm like. You know, I'm a bit of a ladies man. I must focus on the men. The men were hopeless. You know, I'd say, uh, do you fancy going for a coffee? No, no, not really. And, and, but, but the women were saying, Sangha Ketu, can we have a women's study group? Saying, oh, all right, there's only, only me to do it, you know. Oh, all right, you know. Uh, can we so before I knew it, I was meeting up with them. We were having cups of coffee and uh, uh, a day retreat, a weekend retreat. It was, all, it was all happening. And the women really blossomed. They really did well. Yeah. But yeah, so I did think afterwards, he's a bit of a devil singer, actually, too. You know, because that Peterborough group really come from his prompting, is you know. And uh, apparently he used to do this a lot. He probably still does. He would talk things up. So he didn't do that much. You know, I mean, all right. He, he, he started, well, he did in a way. He started classes on Monmouth Street. You can still see the, 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 the sort of the basement on Monmouth Street. I was there the other week. He started classes there, yes. But, you know, he's not done everything himself. What he does, his technique has been to talk it up, you know, to say, well, so what's happening with this Blackburn Retreat Centre? Or, you know, he, he would, <laughs> and you'd go, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. You know, you, you would then set about organising or, and he would just give you a little bit of a, it's fantastic, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, so that, so Peterborough went on for a while. And then one day I happened to be in, um, in Bristol, uh, just chilling out with, a, you know, a friend or whatever. And uh, a Lobin mentioned, he said, I'm thinking of going to Leicester. So me and my big mouth. <laughs> I said, oh, I'll, I'll help you. I, I'll. <laughs> so, uh, so while I was living here, I was also going down to Leicester. Uh, I think we started off just once a month. Anybody can manage, you know, once a month. And then it became once a week. And then uh, when I moved to Nottingham, I was going down two times a week and you know, it grew. But I must, I must confess, I did dry up. I got fed up. You know, you go in, you might have two people. Well, that's not going to cover, cover your train fare, is it? And I'd go, I'd go into Tesco and get a sandwich. And, uh, you know. So I did actually run out of a bit of... But fortunately, uh, Alobin, he was getting involved and he was, uh, he was sort of taking some classes and it all gathered. And now they've got a fantastic group. I mean, they've got so many mysteries, I've lost count, you know, and uh, it really is good. Uh, uh, I was there recently. Actually, that wasn't so good. I, I did a, a Tara festival. It's a complete flop. <laughs> it was. Uh, but anyway, we keep, we keep going. I did also an another, another failure. While I was living here, I thought, Hedden Bridge, it's ripe for the Dharma. So I got some posters, you've never seen posters this bad. You know, I can't use a computer, me and, we just don't fit, you know. So I did these posters and put them there. They were awful. And uh, I think we had two people, and then somebody just happened to be passing, and she thought, oh, well, I'll go up there, you know. So I think we had three. And then, I, I think it just, I remember coming back one night, I got on the wrong bus. I mean, I ought to know which bus to get to Salford, you know. Like, I was going through Eccles, this really dodgy looking housing estate. I thought, where am I? Where am I going? So I got off, I thought, I'll catch the bus back on the other side, you know, and then back all the way through Salford or whatever, you know, back to, to uh, um, 
not Piccadilly, what's the other train station called? Victoria, back to Victoria, and then I got the right bus. But it, something like that might just tip the scales, you know, I thought, well, Hebden Bridge, they didn't want the Dharma, did they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then there might have been, a, might have been a, a bit of an emotional, well, you know. So, <laughs> so I'm going to round, round up because we're wanting our t uh, tea break. But just say a little bit about gratitude, because I think it's such an important thing. I found this myself. If it's not there in your regular practice, you know, try and get it there. Uh, I heard about uh, Leonard Cohen. So, you know Leonard Cohen, he was a right misery. <laughs> he was a depressive. I just thought his records were really naff. But no, he was a depressive, you know. And, uh, and he said what, <laughs> what cured him was his Buddhist practice of reverence and gratitude. Well, I thought, well, I've done reverence, you know, uh, but gratitude, it really stood out for me. I thought, hmm, maybe there's something in that. And I started making a practice of, uh, you know, maybe in the morning I'd, I'd recollect things. Well, what have I got to be, I've got so much to be grateful for, it's unbelievable. I live in a community, I cook once a week, you know. <laughs> and even if I did the same curry every time, they wouldn't complain, you know. Um, it's it's that cleaning half an hour once a week. We're through the house. That's it. Uh, it's it's. My son said you've got the life of Riley, Dad. I said I have. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's working. He has to go out to work. He's got his family. You know, at weekends there's jobs. You know, I've I've got the life of Riley. Um. Yeah. So th so this gratitude theme. Um. Well, I started to think, well, I do all certain people. I owe Sabuti. You know, he ordained me. But I remember going for the first walk, and he, he kind of, he spent longer with me. And he, he mentioned, he said, well, the older members in Manchester, they thought you'd never get ordained. I said, <laughs> I said, name names, you know. Um, well, I did, <laughs> I did get ordained, you know. And, uh, and I feel a lot of gratitude towards Sangharachita. He's still writing to me. You know, he's 92, is it now? 93. He keeps slipping another one in, yeah. He wrote to me two, two weeks ago, and he was telling, well, he wasn't telling me off, but he said, you need to, uh, you know, put things right. Um, yeah. He's still, you know, at 93, he's still writing to me. I can't believe it. You know, Sabuti doesn't write. Like, uh, Sabuti, though, to be fair, he did say, I love you. You know, that'll keep you going for quite a while, won't Somebody says they love you, you know. I don't, I don't need him to write again for a while. You know, that'll, that'll do it for now. You don't, you don't get that from Sangharachita. For ages it was yours in the Dharma, you know. Or with Metta, you know. You know, I'd get, he'd write every so often, every so many months, you know. Because apparently I used to write to him more than any other man in the movement. I, I didn't realise. You know, every month I'd rattle off a, you know, nine-page kind of resume of every cafe I've been in, you know. But apparently, and my file in his, uh, you know, it's like bursting. And he said to a friend, he said, Sangha uh, Ketu writes more often than any other man in the movement. And this friend said, well, I don't think I'll be writing that often. And Sangha went, no. no. <laughs> Good, yeah. So... Uh, so I just feel a lot of gratitude because of what he's done and, and the personal connection, you know. Uh, I have had the odd meeting with him. I mean, he's a funny old thing. I remember once going out for a walk with him 
and it was just tying his shoes up on the stairs and I said oh then there were these like red you know dark red uh, really you know really nice I said oh those, those shoes are nice Panty oh these are the ones I always wear I just thought oh, you know it's going to be one of them walks, you know. <laughs> and then I ran out of things to say, and he was just singing to himself, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to write it off, don't you? Just, oh, well, you know. Yeah. He's happy. That's the thing. Um, but, you know, in, in more sort of ordinary, mundane terms, we can be really great. I mean, I had a hip operation last year, last summer. It's fantastic. I remember going, uh, well, actually... I went to see the consultant first of all and uh, I said well my intuition for what it's worth tells me the problem is my back and he was like mm, okay he said well my sense of it having seen your x-rays you need a hip replacement operation <laughs> and I went oh okay uh, but actually in the event it was great I remember going to the uh, I was done at the Nuffield in, in Cambridge you know so it was very nice. And uh, young nurse there, she said, it'll be like a holiday for you, a little holiday. <laughs> and it was, actually. <laughs> Wi-Fi, big TV, room to myself, you know. And they keep coming in, is there anything you need? Yeah. I said, a cup of tea would be nice. <laughs> um, so it was great. And, uh, and the staff as well, they, they, you know, they weren't overworked and grumpy, you know. That. They were really good. Uh, the uh, anaesthetist, if that's how you say it, uh, when I went in for the actual operation, he says, he's leaning over with his needle, he says, I believe you're a Man United fan. So I, oh, oh yeah. He said, well, I, I'm Man City. <laughs> and he, he leaned over, he said, and these are a bit blunt. <laughs> I said, I won't forget this. You know, and I'd gone then, you know, but... Uh, so, so it was a really, really positive experience. I mean, all right, you know, I, I had a bit of noisy, nausea and uh, there was one nurse, she said, uh, when I come round, she said, this is your friend. And it was, uh, what do they call it, like opium, is it? Some? Morphine. Morphine, you know. <laughs> How did you know that, Christine? <laughs> bit of an expert on morphine. It was the morphine, and she said, this is your friend, you know, when you need it. Anyway, I hardly used any. I, I tried it for a novelty, but... Uh, <laughs> I must have a tough, a tough hide, you know. Yeah, but it's fantastic. I couldn't walk before, but not far. If I walked, you know, like half an hour, I'd be, you know, with my walking set. I felt like an old man. Yeah, but no, hey, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, <laughs> that's as far as it goes. So yeah, so uh, so you know, appreciating even that kind of level. You know, appreciating uh, just going out and seeing the blossoms. You know, it's a bit late. It happens later up here, doesn't it? We've already had it down in Cambridge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, we're paying more in uh, rates and taxes. Right? <laughs> but, um, but, you know, on that level even, just deciding to have a, a positive, you know, to sort of appreciate what you've... I used to look at people walking. In fact, I, I shouted at this young girl. I said, I used to walk like that, you know, when I'm walking, you know. And she was really sweet. She said, I'm, I'm in a hurry for the bus, you know. But, you know, I was like, mm, I used to walk like that. Um, yeah. There is an interesting aspect to, uh, to giving as well, though. Really, to give, you've got to be able to receive as well. I've got a really, really lovely friend who gives me all, you know, bits and bobs, and she's very... So 
But when, you know, when I give to her, oh, oh, I don't, you know, she's like, oh, I don't, uh, you know, she feels uncomfortable at receipt. I said to her, you need to learn how to receive, you know. Um, so that's an interesting to, to sort of dwell on as well. You need to sort of be open to, to allowing things in because then you, you'd be more likely, it's an exchange and it's like engaging with the world. You allow, uh, you allow things in because then you'll appreciate more what, you've, what you have got. You know, we're, we're fantastically well off. Uh, Joseph Campbell, uh, who, what was he? Uh, mythologist or something but anyway he was very good uh, talking about all sorts of uh, mythological things he said when you come to the end of your life uh, <laughs> he said it's really good to see your life as a show but a fantastic show to really appreciate and I was thinking about this I was thinking yeah well I did get ordained but I saw Jimi Hendrix <laughs> That really stands out. Whenever I think back into my life, I think, you saw Jimi Hendrix. It, it's like he came, his aura or something came right from the stage. You know, it was incredible. Yeah. But there has been other highlights in my life as well. You know, like, <laughs> getting ordained was fantastic. I'd waited years, four years I'd waited to be ordained. And I finally, and I got the case around my neck and I went to bed and I left it on. You know, just, I'm not taking it off. <laughs> And Abaya Curti took a photo of me sat up in bed with him. Yes, got it up. Yeah, loved it. So, you know, that's the sort of thing to try and stay in touch with, isn't it? Your mitra ceremony. You know, I had a mitra ceremony, 1986. I used to have long hair. And it, it caught fire on the, the candle. <laughs> it was like, you know, that horrible smell of burning, burning hair. You know, yeah. um, so I, I do remember that. Yeah. So uh, we've mentioned the uh, the giving thing. What's it called? The join in. The join in project. It's very easy to remember. The join. <laughs> the join in project. Uh, and I've talked a little bit about Tara stepping down. I want to get this point across that we've got to step down from being precious about our practice. You know, like my meditation practice. You know. All right. You know, I, uh, I'm involved with the, uh, the parents and children in Cambridge. Meditating with them, you know, you can't be precious about your meditation. You know, you sit to meditate. Bang, bang, bang. Somebody's running a car along the floorboards. Or somebody's falling out. Or there's some crash. And I say, well, this is what we're focusing on. You know, this is, this is our practice. So uh, we've got to be open to, you don't know what's going to, what noise, what, what demand on your time, you know, I mean, that's, uh, that's part of stepping down for me. Step down from holding on to your precious practice, you know. Step into the forest, the adventure of the spiritual life, you know, engaging with it and, you know, uh, really going with what, what's on offer. It is fantastic. I did tell you a few stories about my history with groups successes and failures <laughs> and then gratitude I mean it's fun. what we're doing is just unbelievable isn't it if we didn't come together like this well I'd be I'd be here on my own <laughs> talking away. might be Michael <laughs> and we'd probably give up after a while she'll go and have a, a cup of tea you know, all that, you know I have been to classes where one person turned you know two people turn up you know so this is fantastic we've got a good turnout and uh, 
Just, just to end with, um, Dada Rinpoche was uh, Sangharachita's sort of friend and teacher, and uh, one of his expressions was, uh, well, he said, if you don't know what to do, if you're wondering what to do, so do something for other people. That's a wonderful thing to, to return to, isn't it? You, you know, you don't know what to do. Do something for others. Keep coming back to that. And that way, you know, you, you, uh, your perspective broadens out. You know, it's just a, it's a change of, uh, of relating, how to relate, isn't it? You know, we've got it. We've got it all. Just come through the door, you know, every week. And, uh, you know, you're made. You're, you're on your way. But other people don't have that. There's people out there who've got awful lives, you know. I better stop. I'm going to cry if I can't carry on like this. Yeah. So anyway, so thank you. And uh, what's it called? <laughs> the Joining Project. Yeah. Hey, thank you. <laughs>